Hello and welcome to the 7th of February edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor for this week's edition. We have John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and today the readers with me are Phil Lee and Jane Fires. Hello, Phil. Hello, Jane. Unfortunately, Catherine can't be with us. She has this cold stroke lurgy that is doing the rounds at the moment and thoughtfully decided not to share it with us. So it'll just be the three of us. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, obituaries, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please also keep sending any feedback as we'd like to make the recordings as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. And please be prepared for an aunt's phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you'll not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, do ring though. 01905 767 766 and leave a message. We're also um, wanting to let listeners know that there is a... Hold on, I'm just trying to find it now. No, I'll have to come back to that because the article seems to have disappeared temporarily. So I'll carry on and say that the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, at, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, uh, which Jane is going to read out for us. Police non-emergency is 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765 765. Worcester Live which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall. 01905 611 427. Malvern Theatres. 01684 892277. Samaritans. Now a free phone number. 116123. And here at Colin Chance House... We are 01905 767766. Before we move on to what's on, I found that missing piece of paper, which was to tell you about the Sight Concern AGM, which takes place on Tuesday the 12th of February at the Bradbury Centre, 4pm to 4.45pm. And the phone number, if you need any more details, is 01905 723 
245. So a brief resume of what's on in the coming few days and into next week. This Saturday, uh, the 9th of February, St Richard's Hospice has organised a lantern walk taking place at the National Trust Property Croom Court from 4.30 to 8 in the evening. The one and a half mile route around the grounds will give participants the chance to enjoy not just the picturesque setting of Croom, but also a chance to remember loved ones on the way. If you want any further details, contact the hospice on 01905 763 963. On Sunday the 10th, something a little bit different, at the Three Counties showground, there's a flea and collector's fair going on during the day, and that's over in Malvern, obviously. From the 14th to the 24th of February, the Love Worcester Heritage Festival is taking place. This is a week of events celebrating Worcester's unique history in heritage venues across the city. For more information, email info at tudorhouse.org.uk and Tudor House is all one word. I've picked out one thing, though. I, well, a couple of things, but uh, on Saturday the 16th and 17th of February from 10am to 5pm, Living History at the Commandery is taking place. You can experience 2,000 years of history from Vikings to Victorians with more than 150 reenactors bringing the past to life with living history encampments, military displays, crafts and some hands-on activities for children. On Saturday, February the 16th, the English Symphony Orchestra will be performing Act One of Wagner's opera The Valkyrie at the Swan Theatre. For tickets and more information, it's 01905 611 427. On Friday the 15th of February, so the day before, a group called The Sixteen perform Monteverdi's Vespers of 1610 at Worcester Cathedral, 7.30pm. Tickets are £10 to £30 and for details phone 0333-010-2850. And last but not least, something a bit different again, taking place at the Worcester, sorry, no, at the Henry Sandon Hall is a um, an evening of talking. Uh, it's an amazing sounding evening, actually. It's the world's joint greatest expert on Royal Worcester porcelain, Henry Sandon, doing an evening about porcelain in the hall named after him. And in conversation with the other world's joint greatest expert, his son, John Sandon. Both are veterans of the Antiques Roadshow and are hugely knowledgeable, very entertaining. There'll be ample opportunity for asking questions and you can bring any pots and porcelain to be valued afterwards but no other items, please. That's at 7.30 till 10 o'clock in the Henry Sandon Hall, Saturday the 16th. And the phone number, if you need more details, is 611-427. That's enough of what's on. And I'll hand over now to Phil, who will read the headlines for the week and then move on into the first headline story. Thank you, Pips. Hi, everyone. Friday, February 1st's story headline was Campaign to Pay Cannabis Sellers £3,000 Court Fine. Saturday gave us thousands raised for funeral of tonsillitis death dad. Monday, robber held car keys to victim's throat. Tuesday the 5th, out in the cold. The following day, alleyway sex attack. And finally, today, we will jail dealers. 
So I'll start with the first of those, which was, as you'll remember, Friday the 1st, and campaign to pay cannabis sellers £3,000 court fine. A crowdfunding campaign has been launched to pay for a £3,000 fine given to an ex-army serviceman who dealt cannabis grown at his city home. But Paul Taylor from Worcester says he uses the Class B drug for medicinal purposes and will use the funds to continue his campaign to have cannabis, cannabis legalised in the UK. The 49-year-old was prescribed opiate painkillers after being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and chronic pain after leaving the military, which he said didn't work and left him feeling suicidal. During a trip to Amsterdam with his wife 20 years ago, he tried cannabis for the first time and it helped alleviate his symptoms. I'm not saying cannabis is a cure, I'm saying cannabis helps. All we want is to be responsible for our own health, he said. Cannabis is non-toxic, it's only if you overindulge, the same with any substance. He claimed, a psychiatrist said to me, if cannabis works for you, don't stop. So I didn't stop. I grew my own clean cannabis and I made it available to other people. That is my only crime. I'm not a profit and gain person, particularly where legality is concerned. Since November, medicinal cannabis products can now be legally prescribed to some patients across the UK in a limited number of circumstances where other medicines have failed. However, Mr Taylor believes this needs to go further, making it more readily available because he believes cannabis is less harmful than substances like alcohol or tobacco. He said legalising cannabis will also help stamp out the criminal aspect and allow for clearer government guidelines and research to be undertaken into its effects. I'm being criminalised because I because I found a natural substance that helps me combat my PTSD and my pain. When I was under the mental health service, I was introduced to other people who had similar issues. The only way we could source cannabis was to go onto the street, to the criminals, where our money would be invested in crime. After being raided by police in 2017, Mr Taylor accepted charges of supplying and producing the Class B drug at Worcester Crown Court last August, before being ordered to pay £3,195 at a Proceeds of Crime Act hearing on January 23rd. But Mr Taylor, who lives in the Cathedral Ward, denies he had anything to do with the GoFundMe campaign, which has already raised £666 though he says he will use the money to further his campaign. There's a stigma attached to cannabis, propaganda and prohibition and an ideology that we've followed from America since 1971, he said. I want to be able to be a businessman. I want to be part of the recreational market that supplies the medicinal market because we have the ability in this country to test whatever we grow without question. We can make sure it's clean and goes by government guidelines, but the government won't introduce guidelines. They are keeping the thumb on people like me. He went on to say that he has researched cannabis for 20 years and that there are, quote, no white papers to suggest cannabis psychosis exists. What does exist is substance abuse, and that can be of any substance. However, a person who wished to remain anonymous said Mr Taylor is a phony who has only started his campaign to legalise cannabis after being raided. They described him as a low-level dealer who sold drugs to teenagers before going to court and described the GoFundMe campaign as a joke. They said he's not trying to be a hero. Sorry, he is trying to be a hero, but he's not. He's a criminal.
And the next one is Saturday, February the 2nd. Thousands raised for funeral of tonsillitis dead dad. Thousands of pounds have been raised to pay for a popular father's funeral. After his sudden death from tonsillitis, aged just 37. More than £5,700 has been collected in memory of Steve Bradley thanks to a fundraising event and an online donations page. The money will pay for the father of seven's funeral and any leftovers will be put into trust funds for his children. Mr Bradley of Ribble Close, Worcester, died last month from a rare complication of tonsillitis called Quincy. Trudy Gormley, a lifelong friend of Mr Bradley, who organised the fundraising event in his memory, said, It was an amazing day. All of Steve's kids were there with his mum, auntie, sister and brother. We want to thank everyone for supporting us. We are overwhelmed. A man came in and gave us a cheque for £2,500. He said, I think it's amazing how you got this community together. I didn't know him, and Stevie didn't know him. He was a good Samaritan. There was a raffle, a tombola, and cakes with Mr Bradley's name on them at the fundraising event at the Gun Tavern pub on January the 26th. Miss Gormley, aged 39, of Rose Avenue, Worcester, added, Steve was a lovely lad. Everyone that knew him wanted to support us. His son, Callum Price, aged 21, previously paid tribute to his dad, describing him as the life and soul of the party. Mr Bradley, a keen pool player who used to run the Bridge pub, collapsed and died in Medway Road on January the 10th. Callum said his dad called an ambulance at around 1.40pm, but by the time paramedics arrived at 2.10pm, he was already dead. Anyone who knew Mr Bradley is welcome to attend his funeral at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm on Friday, February the 8th. Headline for Monday the 4th of February. Robber held car keys to victim's throat. A robber said to have demanded cash and drugs while holding car keys to his victim's throat has been jailed. Jonathan Shire, who posed as an undercover police officer after taking crack cocaine, was jailed for 21 months for the Worcester robbery when he appeared at Hereford Crown Court on Tuesday. Shire was also ordered by Judge Nicholas Cole to pay a victim surcharge of £140. We previously reported how two men were cleared of the same robbery after Shire told the jury he had acted alone. Shire posed as an undercover police officer as he demanded cash and drugs from a couple in a car. The robbery took place at Kenwood Close, off Kenwood Avenue, Worcester, on July the 24th last year. Shire, 28, of Mulberry Terrace, Worcester, stole £10 and a set of car keys from a couple parked in a Renault Clio. He disputed using the key as a weapon to threaten the man in the car, but admitted the robbery. Shire said... I ran over to the car, said I was police and demanded the cannabis. Shire told the jury how on the day of the robbery he had been drinking everywhere in Worcester and had smoked cannabis and crack cocaine and taken ecstasy. There had been cries of yes from the public gallery at Worcester Crown Court as Paul Gill and Darren Smith were both unanimously acquitted of the robbery. 
Shire gave evidence from the witness box to say he acted without the knowledge of Mr Gill and Mr Smith, whom he described as associates rather than friends. Shire had been sitting in the back passenger seat of Mr Smith's BMW when they went to buy cigarettes, alcohol and fuel at the Texaco garage in Toledyne Road. Shire told Mr Smith to stop the car in Kenwood Close because he needed the toilet. He smelled cannabis coming from the Clio and decided to rob the two people inside, spotting the red end glare of the fag. Shire told the jury Mr Smith drove off with Mr Gill and left him there. Shire insisted there was no planning involved. I did not even know that I was going to do it until I smelled the cannabis, he said. The car keys and the £10 were never recovered and Shire informed the jury he couldn't remember what he had done with them. Shire was arrested alongside the other two men at an address in Windermere Drive, Warnden, the following day and interviewed by police. Before the hearing, both Mr Smith and Mr Gill said from the witness box that they felt like victims because they had been accused of a crime they did not commit. Tuesday's story is headlined Out in the Cold. A former ambulance worker has called for more action to help homeless people in cold weather after he tended to 14 rough sleepers who were on the streets in freezing temperatures. However, a spokesman for Worcester City Council said there are beds available at a shelter and outreach workers go out to encourage rough sleepers to spend the night there. But some people choose not to take up the offer of help. Ex-ambulance worker Nick Dyson went out on Friday night from 7.30pm to donate thermal waterproof silver foil sleeping bag covers to those sleeping rough, with temperatures having plummeted well below zero. The 59-year-old of Worcester also bought porridge and tea from McDonald's to give to a group of homeless people camped out on the cross. Mr Dyson said he got the idea to buy the sleeping bag covers after seeing several rough sleepers out in pouring rain a few days before. He posted on Facebook and found a helper who split the £60 with him to buy the bags and they went out together to hand them out. Mr Dyson described how, on Friday, he was greeted with civility in every case but got home feeling completely empty due to the experience. Referring to Joby Sparry, a homeless man found dead in Morven Town Centre on Christmas Day last year, Mr Dyson said this could easily have happened in Worcester. He said that one of the women he helped was totally inadequately clothed for the weather, while all of them said they had not been spoken to by outreach workers. Worcester does not want to be labelled as a death city for the homeless, he continued. Mr Dyson said there were more homeless on the streets than when he left the ambulance service in 2001. He said the situation was so severe on Friday, he contacted Rough Sleepers Service Streetlink, who told him they had alerted the City Council to the situation as a priority. Mr Dyson is currently off work as a relief support worker, having been diagnosed with depression. On Friday, he said he asked one homeless man who was suffering with his mental health, can't you go to a doctor and get antidepressants like me? He looked me straight in the eye and said, they don't care about us, all they think is we're drugged and on alcohol, so they're not interested. In 2001, Mr Dyson spent 10 months in Kisumu in Kenya, working with around 300 homeless children living on the streets, many having been orphaned due to a lack of medical care available for AIDS. Two years ago, he did a sponsored sleep-in with others at Worcester Cathedral to highlight the issue of homelessness in the city. 
He went on to question why churches don't open their doors, supervised by two or three volunteers with perhaps a policeman there on duty. If you're a Christian organisation, you should be duty-bound to open the doors of the church, he said. A city council spokesman said an overnight shelter for rough sleepers was open in Worcester all weekend and has been every night since Sunday, January 27th, in line with the county's severe weather emergency protocol. Outreach workers from CCP and MAGS went out on Friday night to encourage sleepers to go to the shelter. 18 people stayed overnight on Friday and everyone the team encountered was told that the centre was open all weekend. 14 went to the shelter on Saturday and 8 decided to stay the night. Ultimately, people do have a choice about whether to stay. Some choose not to and it is their right to do so. Comprehensive outreach is undertaken every night that the shelter is open and rapid response officers, funded by Worcester City Council, provide extra support. If members of the public are concerned about someone they see sleeping rough, they can contact the relevant authorities via StreetLink's website as streetlink, all one word, dot org dot uk, or by calling 0300 500 0914. Now it's Wednesday, February the 6th, and alleyway sex attack. Police are appealing for information after a woman was sexually assaulted in a Worcester alleyway. The attack on a woman in her 20s took place just after 4am on Saturday, January the 26th in an alleyway off Trinity Street between O'Neill's Bar and Bushwhacker's Nightclub. This assault would have taken place at around the same time as an alleged sex attack on a woman in her 30s in Taylor's Lane, just a five-minute walk from the alleyway off Trinity Street. A 23-year-old man, Gabriel Partine, has been charged with sexual assault and false imprisonment in relation <coughs> to the alleged offence in Taylor's Lane and will appear at Worcester Crown Court on February the 26th. Yesterday, police released a CCTV image of a man they wanted to speak to in relation to the assault in the alleyway off Trinity Street and were successful in locating him within two hours. Officers also want to speak to two women who talked with a woman near Shakey's Takeaway in Angel Street at around 4.30am that morning. One of the managers at O'Neill's, who did not want to be named, said the police had been in contact with them last week asking to see the CTTV footage of the alleyway. She told the Worcester News that she told the police she did not recognise the man in the CTTV image. The alleyway in question divides O'Neill's and Bushwhackers and acts as a storage and a delivery point for the two bars. Speaking yesterday, Detective Constable David Hadley from Mercia Police said, As part of our inquiries, we would like to speak to two females who were believed to speak with a woman near Shakey's on Angel Street at around 4.30am that morning. If you have any information, please get in contact. Anyone with any information is asked to call West Mercia Police on 101, quoting incident number 119S of January the 26th, 2019. Alternatively, information can be given to Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111 or via their website. 
And last but not least, the headline for today, Thursday, February the 7th. Wheel jail dealers, judge and top cop say city is no soft touch as more drug peddlers are caged. Drug dealers who ply their trade in Worcester will be jailed as a police commander and a senior judge warned that the city is not a soft touch. Judge Robert Jukes QC issued a stark warning as he jailed a cocaine dealer at Worcester Crown Court this week, sending out the message that others who peddle Class A drugs can expect to be locked up. Judges in Worcester and Hereford have jailed four dealers for a combined total of 17 years since the beginning of this year, one of them foiled by an eagle-eyed detective on his day off. So far this year, police in Worcester have arrested 11 individuals for drugs supply offences, eight of them charged and remanded to prison as officers seek to sever supply lines from larger cities like Liverpool and Birmingham and disrupt the activities of so-called county lines dealers. Farouk Ali was jailed for four years at Hereford Crown Court on Monday by Judge Nicholas Cole for dealing heroin and crack cocaine in the Shrub Hill Retail Park in Worcester. Also at Hereford Crown Court, London-based dealers Nejmi Atalar and Mertkan Dereli were each jailed for five years by Judge Daniel Pierce Higgins QC for a conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine in Diglis, Worcester. Judge Jukes jailed a cocaine dealer, Alexander Hepp, for two years at Worcester Crown Court this week. We previously reported how Judge Jukes sentenced a Worcester drugs gang led by Ashley James to more than 75 years in prison in November 2017. James alone got 18 years after the gang was convicted of bringing in at least 12 kg of cocaine to Worcester, conservatively estimated to have a street value of £400,000. The following year, he jailed another city cocaine dealer, Mohammed Nassar, dubbed the Puppet Master, and his lieutenants for more than 50 years after police cracked another conspiracy linked to the James gang. Nassar, jailed for 17 years, was a wholesaler, supplying cocaine in bulk to the James gang to sell on the streets of Worcester. Judge Duke said on Tuesday, If you get caught dealing cocaine, you go to prison. It's a message this court seeks to send out through all the judges passing sentence. If you get caught, it's a prison sentence, and the intention is that it should be a deterrent. South Worcestershire Police Commander Superintendent Damien Pettit said, These strong sentences are evidence that individuals convicted of drugs offences will be firmly dealt with through the court system and the public can be reassured that we are all doing what we can to protect them from many forms of harm caused by the use and dealing of these substances. Worcester is not a soft touch and there will be no easy pickings for those involved in using or supplying drugs. Our proactive criminal investigation department work hard to investigate drugs offences, drawing information from a range of agencies, sophisticated technology and intelligence from members of the public. These sentences are another example illustrating that when we catch you, you will have your freedom taken from you. Worcester is not somewhere you can get away with harming our communities and you have been given notice. We really appreciate the local community working with us by reporting any suspicious activity. 
Even information that may seem insignificant could just be the final part of the jigsaw for us. Cocaine dealer Alexander Hepp was visibly shocked by the custodial term handed out at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday, but Judge Jukes told him, The offence itself means that an immediate custodial sentence should, as a matter of principle, be passed. Hep, 28, of Kent Road, Hales-Owen, admitted possession of cocaine and cannabis with intent to supply, as well as possession of each of those drugs. Alex Small, prosecuting, said officers found a tin under the driver's seat of his car in Bromsgrove on March the 25th last year. Inside that tin was a parcel with two further bags containing a white powder and a third containing vegetable matter. They also found a cannabis grinder. Officers seized 10.4 grams of cocaine with a street value placed at £550 and arranged into individual deal wraps. They also found 5.84 grams of cannabis worth 50 to £60. Police seized his iPhone and found references to cocoa and cola, which Mr Small said were both slang for cocaine. Danny Smith, defending, said of Hep, this is not someone who is massively profiteering out of his dealing. Mr Smith said Hep, a landscape gardener, had shown remorse and recognised the impact that dealing had, which he said carries through to his timely guilty plea. Mr Smith described Hep's parents as both of poor health, his father bedbound with cancer while his mother suffered a stroke four years ago. Mr Smith argued that his client had a realistic prospect of rehabilitation and it was unlikely he would find himself before the criminal courts again. But Judge Jukes jailed Hep, telling him, The difficulty is that we have to deal with young men like you, who are in many other ways completely decent. So that's the headlines and news stories for this week. And Phil's going to carry on now with, well, one other story, but we'll go around doing all the other stories from the last few days. Yes, we'll start with that railway station, shall we? Delay to build of new station. Trains should be departing from Worcestershire Parkway Station by December, the County Council has revealed. The finished time for the new multi-million pound railway station on the edge of the city has been the subject of speculation for months, and a definite answer on when it would open had not been given until now. Councillors originally said the station would be built by early 2019, but it is not expected to be completed until summer. Nathan Campsell, director of the council's rail consultant SLC Rail, blamed a delay on unexpected work to an embankment which the Cotswold Line runs along. Councillor Ken Pollock, cabinet member for Economy and Infrastructure, vowed that builders would be off the site and the station would be up and running by the end of the year. When he spoke at a press briefing yesterday, he said, Every time I visit the site, I am amazed at the progress being made. With the main station building now being fitted out and the opening date expected late this year, the goal of trains stopping at the station is now in sight. In the last six months, a pedestrian bridge providing access to the platforms has been put in place, a new roundabout has been installed at the entrance to the station, and work continues to build the station's 500-space car park. Work also continues on lifting the station's three 265-metre platforms into place. And the next thing is Monday, the February the 4th, which says, Fish Pass Work Begins. 
work on a new multi-million pound scheme to ensure fish have an easier route to swim along the River Severn is set to move on to Diglis and Beverley this month. And those behind the project say that while the decision to cut down riverbank trees has not been taken lightly, trees felled will be replaced to reduce the impact. Unlocking the Severn, the group behind the £19.7 million project, said it is one of the largest river restorations of its kind ever attempted in Europe. It will see 158 miles of the river reopened to fish by creating routes around physical barriers, namely weirs, that currently prevent migration to critical spawning grounds. The aim of the project is to secure the long-term future of many of the UK's declining and protected fish species, particularly the locally threatened Thwaite and Alice Shad. State-of-the-art fish passes will be installed on four navigation weirs on the River Severn following fish passage improvements that started last year at two sites on the River Team. Diglis and Beverley will be the first two sites on the Severn, with installation of the passes due to start in April and May respectively. Site teams will be at both locations later this month to remove a number of trees along the riverside. On the trees, unlocking the, river, the Severn stressed, to mitigate the loss of the trees, five new trees for every one that is felled will be planted along the River Severn corridor. The tree removal has been approved by Worcester City Council and Witchhaven District Council. Construction of the fish passes is expected to take around 10 months. Jason Leach, Programme Director, said, We're delighted to be starting work in Diglis and Beverley on what is a once-in-a-lifetime project that will bring major environmental benefits to the river and the species that can thrive here. The decision to remove trees was not taken lightly and only after all other avenues were explored. The tree work is being undertaken before bird nesting season. We would like to assure people that we're only proceeding on the basis that the long-term ecological benefits are so worthwhile. Work on unlocking the Severn began at Poick Weir and Knightsford Bridge Weirs in July 2018. The work at the other sites, Diglis, Holt, Beverley and Lincoln Weirs, will be carried out over the next three years. The £19.7 million includes £10.8 million of funding from the National Lottery, awarded through Lottery Heritage Fund, and £6 million from the European Union. An Information Day is being held on February the 17th at Diglis Island between 11am and 3pm. And here's a story about one of the other stations in Worcester, this time Fourgate Street. Commuters will soon be given the chance for a first look at plans for a £1 million revamp at Fourgate Street Station. Improvements will include a ticketed barrier system, an automated gate line, a new passenger information screen, as well as updates to the current CCTV system. Rail users have been invited to view the initial designs and have their say on the planned developments at the station. West Midlands Railway will host the public consultation at Fourgate Street on Friday, February the 15th. 
As we previously reported, a cash injection of £1 million for the station was backed by Worcester's MP Robin Walker. West Midlands Railway has also reaffirmed their promise of an extra 40, sorry, 413 carriages by 2021, with a capacity increase of 25% at peak times to help with overcrowding within carriages and the waiting times on the platforms across its network. Brenda Lawrence, head of stations for WMR, said, The one million redevelopment planned for Worcester Fourgate Street Station will significantly improve the experience for passengers travelling to and from the station. We're keen to get the input of those who use the station every day, as they will be the main beneficiaries of our work. She said West Midlands Railway Management and members of the project team would be available at the station from 7am until 7pm on that Friday, February the 15th, to share the plans and hear the views of the local community. Those unable to attend will be able to have their say via an online form. The station, opened in 1860 by the Great Western Railway, is the main station serving Worcestershire at the moment. (laughs) Thank you, Pips. Sounds like time for a drink, but if it is, not at Hogarth's Gin Palace, because Gin Palace appeal has failed. A planning inspector has rejected renewed efforts to open a Victorian-style gin palace in the city centre. Worcester City Council's licensing and planning committees previously rebuffed applications by Amber Taverns to turn the old co-op store in Angel Street into a Hogarth's pub. Councillors were worried that the plans would lead to an increasing crime. Amber Taverns challenged the planner's decision, but the planning inspectorate sided with the City Council. Andrew Owen, a planning inspector, wrote, I do not doubt that the combination of pubs, restaurants, nightclubs and hot food takeaway outlets in the immediate vicinity generates a level of activity late in the evening which may bubble over into antisocial behaviour, disorder and even crime. In summary, I consider that the proposal would be likely to result in an increase in the number of people visiting Angel Street during the evening period. Sam Franklin, property director at Amber Taverns, said he was highly disappointed by the decision. He added, We are a socially responsible pub operator with 144 pubs through England and Wales and have an excellent working relationship with police forces up and down the country. The opening of one new pub in Worcester would not have materially affected the level of crime and disorder in the city. We have sympathy with police forces who have had their budgets cut, but these should not prevent much-needed alternative development in town and city centres. We are therefore disappointed we are not opening a Hogarth's in Worcester and bringing this unloved building back into use. He added that Amber Taverns has now dropped its plans for the site as it would have to go to the High Court to overturn the decision. Lynn Denham, City Councillor for Cathedral Ward, who was against the plans, said there should be a variety of activities and opportunities within the city centre. These days people come into town for an overall shopping or cultural experience of which a drink out is just one part of. The Planning Inspectorate rejected the appeal on January the 7th. And this is the War Exhibition Opens. An exhibition remembering the First World War has gone on display to the public at Worcester's Guild Hall. The new collection features 50 original paintings and prints collected by historian John Newt and is part of the Worcester World War I programme, which marked last year's centenary of the end of the Great War. 
Mr. Newt helped open the Art of the Great War exhibition on Saturday, alongside the Deputy Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, Mark Armstrong, Worcester Mayor Jabba Riaz, and Councillor Adrian Gregson. Worcestershire World War, oh sorry, Worcestershire World War One's historic project manager. Crowds who visited the exhibition on opening day were impressed by the paintings and drawings that brought to life the war from those who served on the front line or on the home front. Among the artworks available to view are F.W. Brangwyn's sketch, Vow of Vengeance, H. Kimberley's The Cross in the Heavens Above the Trenches and George Paul Leroux's Dans la Tranchée. Mr. Newt's interest in the period developed after his father had served in the Royal Army Medical Corps in the Great War, with the Second World War arriving when John was just seven years old. Over the years, he's been able to gather works of art from the time from both well-known and amateur artists and decided he wanted to share them with the public. Mr. Newt said, These works show the whole scope of experiences during the Great War, from the devastation on the battlefield to incredibly moving depictions of the soldiers' experiences. I hope people enjoy the exhibition and that they educate and contribute to our understanding of the impact of World War I. Councillor Gregson added, The work on show presents an incredible snapshot of the experiences of those on the front line and in doing so is incredibly moving. Whilst armistice has passed, this isn't the end of the story and the Worcestershire World War 100 programme is keen to continue to share stories from the First World War and exhibitions like this are a great way of doing that. A free exhibition will be open daily at the Guildhall between 9.30am and 4.30am except on Sundays. It runs until Friday, March the 1st. And this is a story about um, a potential new bridge from Gallibolt Park across to the other side of the river. A row over whether the City Council should put forward a further £225,000 to build a new footbridge from Gallivault Park continues. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, wants to put a further 225000 of un- unallocated city plan money as another down payment for the new bridge in the north of the city. But some of the council's Labour members fear it is too early to commit the money. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Deputy Deputy Leader of the Council, said the bridge should be put forward as a capital project and the money should not come from the City Plan Fund. Repeating his concerns from last week's Place and Economic Development meeting, Councillor Gregson said, Before we have any proper designs, it makes no sense to commit that kind of money. The plan for the footbridge from Gallivault Park to the old Keepax landfill site was boosted by a county council commitment of £4.2 million in next year's budget to help build it. Councillor Simon Geraghty said if the city council was serious about walking and cycling, then putting the money forward was an essential move and it would have a transformational effect on the city. He said, Are we behind sustainable travel? If we are, then this is absolutely the right thing to do. Councillor Roger Berry was less enthusiastic and said he wanted to know the cost of the bridge before throwing any more money at it. He said, 
If we're going to do this, we need to know what the cost is going to be. Let's have some evidence. Councillor Joy Hodges said handing over the money was too early and a bit premature, and the £225,000 figure seemed to have been plucked out of thin air. Councillor Chris Mitchell said the bridge would be a pretty sound investment and he believed the council would get a good return on the money. Councillor Roger Knight said the potential value of the bridge was enormous and was a glorious opportunity which the council should not let slip through its fingers. A decision on the bridge money will be made when the City Council meets on February the 19th to discuss next year's budget. We await with interest. Right. Um, Join the big St Richard's Hospice Walk, this story is headed, uh, and it refers to something that Pips was uh, letting us know about earlier on in the in the readings. Guests are invited to join a hospice for its second lantern walk, helping light up the night sky in memory of loved ones. The St Richard's Hospice event will take place at dusk on Saturday, February 9th, in the grounds of the National Trust's Croom near Worcester. Glowing lanterns bearing LED candles will illuminate the parkland during the 1.5-mile walk, with many of those attending, reflecting on and celebrating the lives of loved ones. Kelly Johns, hospice fundraiser, said, Last year's lantern walk was such a special, memorable event, so we're looking forward to its return this year. We know that many will be walking in memory of a loved one, and we hope the evening offers a chance to celebrate those special people. It's set to be a magical evening, with areas along the route illuminated, including the house. So whether you're walking in memory of someone or just to enjoy an atmospheric stroll, we're sure it will be an evening to remember. During the walk, guests will be invited to write messages or leave photos remembering their loved ones. Croom's on-site church will be available for those who wish to have some quiet time and light a candle in memory of someone. There will also be music from the Vox Rocks Choir at the start and the finish of the walk. Everyone over five years old will receive a lantern and LED candle, while glow sticks will be provided for those under five. Participants are encouraged to raise sponsorship of at least £30 to help support the hospice's free care to patients, their loved ones and bereaved people across the county. Tickets are £20 for adults, £15 for children and under fives go free. Registration begins at 4.45, with the walk beginning at 5.30. To find out more and to book tickets, visit www.strichards.org.uk forward slash event forward slash lantern hyphen walk. St Richard's Hospice cares for adults with serious progressive illnesses, improving their quality of life from diagnosis during treatment and to their last days. It also supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,300 patients, family members and bereaved people in the county. The hospice is also raising funds for the Build 2020 appeal and is partway through developing a bigger hospice, enabling more patients and families to be cared for. The total cost of expanding and redeveloping the existing building in Wildwood Drive, Worcester, is £5.3 million. We have another story about armed police swooping on a hotel to help a man. Armed police swooped on Great Malvern Hotel, which is at the top of Graham Road, um, before taking a man away in a van. A riot van and several police cars pulled up outside the Graham Road Hotel at about 10.45am yesterday, which would have been Monday the 4th. Police said 15 officers were deployed, some of them armed. 
Sergeant Dave Knight said we got a call to say there were concerns for somebody at the hotel who was potentially going to harm themselves, and as a result, officers were deployed. He has been arrested. He is receiving treatment at Worcester Royal. There were concerns that he wanted to harm himself, and we've gone and made sure he doesn't, and he's getting treatment at the hospital. Inspector Andrew Smith added, Due to the nature of the report that a man was in possession of a bladed weapon, armed officers were deployed to the scene, along with non-armed officers, as a precautionary measure. This was a contained incident which was resolved peacefully and there was no wider risk to members of the public. An eyewitness described seeing two police cars as well as an unmarked police car and a van before a man was brought out of the hotel at around 11am. They've just walked a man out who appears to be naked but shrouded with a cover and put him into the van, she said. Eyewitness Richard Spencer arrived in the town centre as the events were unfolding. He said the police had blocked off Graham Road between the crossroads and the Edith Walk Junction, but I was able to come up Broad's Bank. By the time I came up, there were lots of armed officers, some of them coming out of the building. A white male in his 30s, who was wrapped up in a blanket or sheet, was taken out of the hotel and put into a police van. Ashley Humphrey, aged 49, who was at the Krusty Cobb sandwich shop, said the police appeared to be looking at the top corner window of the hotel facing the main street. Morven is quiet. It's quite surprising you get this sort of thing happening around here. It's good the police reacted so quickly. And here's a, a nice story about, well, funnily enough, it's about trains again. Um, 30 members of the 3rd Worcester Scout Group had a special surprise awaiting them at Shrub Hill Station as they prepared to set off for a three-day weekend Harry Potter camp. In recognition of the boy wizard, station staff changed the platform information for the train bound for Malvern Link to Hogwarts Express and even put out announcements over the PA system, asking the youngsters to board at Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Scout leader Anna Humphreys said, The kids were over the moon with how magical the station was, and even the adults found it amazing. It was lovely to know that our local community joined in with the magic of this camp, and it made it so much more exciting for us. The staff even checked we'd had everyone on board and gave us time on the platform to ensure everyone and everything was off the train. They certainly worked above and beyond the call of their duties. We'd like to thank them all for the train service that we had. And alongside the article is a wonderful picture which actually shows the departure board and the item, the Hogwarts Express, leaving at 1907 for Great Malvern. And all the children are dressed up in Harry Potter-themed clothes. It's, it's a very special picture. Nice news item, that one. Very much so. The next one is um, headed Leader versus Britain First, Britain First being a, a political group. The leader of Worcester City Council confronted Britain First activists in the high street, telling them we don't need people coming here spreading hatred. In a video posted to YouTube on Monday, Councillor Mark Bayliss approached Britain First leader Paul Golding and other far-right campaigners to inquire whether they had permission to hang their banner outside the Guildhall. Mr Golding denied they needed permission and informed the Tory councillor that they were there to protest against a new mosque planned for Stanley Road. 
I'm very proud of a mosque in Worcester, which is a peaceful, loving community where people get on, Councillor Bayliss told the former National Front and BNP activist. We do not need racists here in Worcester, he added. Mr Golding denied they were racist because Islam is a religion, not a race, adding that, quote, one of our activists down there is black. Is he a racist? He told Councillor Bayliss to stop living in your blinkered middle-class bubble in Worcester and join us in the real world. To which the council leader said, I suggest you go and look at multicultural Worcester. People get on very well here. Mr Golding argued Worcester wasn't very multicultural and indeed is largely populated by middle-class white liberals. Councillor Bayliss asked why a mosque in Worcester or anywhere else is such a bad thing. To which Mr Golding said, most of the mosques in this country are funded by the gold states. The proliferation of Islam all over Europe is causing problems. We're opposing it. Mr Golding argued that there was too much extremism coming out of mosques and claimed they discriminate against women, they discriminate against non-Muslims. Councillor Bayliss said, so you're saying one sort of religious venue is okay but another is not? Councillor Bayliss added, this is not a one-religion country. He reiterated that the group should remove their banners from the Guildhall railings. Text in the video claims that the councillor then called the police before footage of Mr Golding talking to officers was shown. Speaking to the camera, the Britain First leader then said, the head of the Conservative Council threatened us with the police. The police came to see us, they've asked a few questions and they've gone on their way. And the next one is about the mosque again. Um, the county council investigation has been launched into how a charity spent taxpayers' money that it received from a councillor. The Charity Commission has already launched an inquiry into missing accounts at the Jalalabad Association, which runs the mosque in Vincent Road, Worcester. The charity now faces a Worcestershire County Council probe into the two payments it received from Councillor Alla Ditter's divisional fund in 2012. The, the charity asked Councillor Ditter, a former county councillor, who sits on the city council, to give them £1,100 for an educational day trip and £1,200 for computer equipment. But some worshippers have cast doubt over whether the money was spent as intended, claiming that they'd not heard of a day trip taking place, nor seen any computers inside the mosque. A spokesman for the council said, the county council is making inquiries of the Jalalabad Association concerning the two payments in 2012 by contacting the association. The application for the computer equipment states... Due to a lack of funding, we, the Jalalabad Association, cannot provide full support to the community. We require equipment such as computers, softwares, visual equipment. This will support our educational learning and build confidence to bring the community together. The application form for the educational day trip states, Due to a lack of funding, currently we cannot provide the support to the community as we wish to do especially the young generation. We need to be able to organise educational day trips, social gathering, etc., that will help the children in the community work together and support each other. Illegible. Bring the community together. The County Council redacted sections of the forms which councillors sign to confirm they believe the payments are legal and within their budget. By signing... Councillors also accept 
that the payment is consistent with council policy, that it will not give rise to an ongoing financial commitment, that they do not have a prejudicial interest in the proposal, and that they do not think it will not be spent on direct employment of staff, hospitality or gifts. Councillor Ditter, Worcester's Deputy Mayor, declined to comment and Muhidir Rahman, Chairman of the Charity, was unavailable for comment. A lollipop man was surprised on his 80th birthday with a card made by children at Oldbury Park Primary School. A group of Year 2 children made and presented the card to Mike Dowling yesterday just before he started his 2.45pm shift. Mr Dowling, who's been keeping children safe at home time for 10 years, said, I love it, the job. I dread to think when I have to stop. The children met him outside with their teacher, Laura Jones, and deputy head, Margaret Phillips, to sing happy birthday before giving him his card and a present. Mr Dowling said, it was a lovely surprise. I love meeting them every day. I don't know their names, though, because I'm hopeless with names. Before working at the school... Mr Dowling worked at sea for 35 years in the Royal Navy, Merchant Navy and on ships. Mrs Phillips said, He is out in all weather. He is such an amazing man. He is always happy and has always got a cheery way for everyone. He is such a treasure to have outside our school and he keeps everybody safe, which is a very important job. That's nice. And here's another nice warm story about a primary school, in this case Great Malvern Primary School. Caring staff help families. The caring and friendly staff of a primary school have been praised in a nomination for the Worcestershire Education Awards. Great Malvern Primary School has been nominated for the Primary School of the Year in the awards run by our sister paper, the Worcester News, in partnership with the University of Worcester. In her nomination, Nicola Stewart wrote, This school has the loveliest staff you could ever wish to teach your children. They are caring and friendly and always put their students and their families first. I have four of my five children go through this school. Two are still there now and my youngest will be attending once she is old enough. The school spotted my daughter's dyslexia very early and helped us to get her diagnosed so that she can help. She can access the help she needs in September when she moves up to her next school. I couldn't thank this school enough for what they have done with my children and many others. Nikki Selby, head of the school in Lydes Road, Malvern, said, What an honour. We are delighted that the hard work and enthusiasm of our children and staff has been recognised. Every day is a pleasure to work in such an inspiring community. Thank you for the nomination. At the heart of the Great Malvern Primary, she continued, are the excellent relationships between pupils, staff and parents, which foster and develop an ethos of mutual respect and collaboration. Central to the school's success is our nurturing philosophy, which wholeheartedly embraces the wider family of Great Malvern and its community. From the passionate teachers to the sparky and enthusiastic children, this is a team that works together. The deadline for nominations is April the 18th. Finalists are chosen by a panel of judges and the winners will be announced at the awards ceremony at the University Arena on June 20th. And now we go over to Droitwich, where Droitwich Town Council has been urged to provide up to £10,500 to help fund the latest phase of a project aiming to improve prospects on the troubled Westlands estate. 
David Manning, Witchhaven District Council's Community Programmes Manager, has been heading Droitwich West Programme for two years, previously describing the estate as the most deprived in the area. Figures show reports of antisocial behaviour on the Westlands have reduced by almost half in two years, according to Mr Manning, which coincides with the three-year programme. Speaking at a full council meeting on Monday, January the 28th, Town and County Councillor Richard Morris urged DTT to dip into its government-allocated £73,500 new homes bonus money pot, as it had been suggested by Mr Manning. It's the Westlands is on the edges of Droitwich far too long, and we need to bring it into the town, and this is our opportunity, said Councillor Morris. The playing area is a great initiative, The youngsters round here haven't got many areas to play in and this would support a certain age group in some area to help them play. He suggested ring-fencing the funds because the scheme needs wholehearted effort. Mr Manning, also speaking at the meeting, said the latest stage of the scheme is to add play equipment to district council-owned green space near Droitwich High School. I'd like to make a request for the council to consider coming in on that proposal, he continued. The total cost is estimated at around £21,000, with the district council already willing to put funds towards it and Fortis Living to be approached in the near future. He said what we'd like to do there is to put some new equipment in the form of football posts and goals and some very informal pay equipment. We're thinking boulders, tree stumps, maybe develop an orchard, maybe look at a few bits of landscaping work there. Town Council Clerk Mark Keld said the council is currently welcoming funding applications and needs to give WDC an indication on how the money might be spent by March. And finally, before we move on to sport... I wanted to read you this little item um, which was written by Dave Bradley, who you may know is a radio uh, presenter on Hereford and Worcester. And he has a small, um, what do you call it, article each week in the paper that he writes. This one caught my eye. Uh, It's entitled, We've All Got Our Stories, and I thought it would be a nice thing to share with everybody. There's a guy in America called Steve Hartman. Ever heard of him? He believes that everybody has a story to tell, to such an extent that he set out to find random people to tell their story. He would throw a dart over his shoulder at a map of the United States and then travel to wherever the dart landed. Upon arrival, Hartman would find a phone book and, choosing a name at random, would try to find a person who would agree to be interviewed and tell their story. He travelled all over, all over, getting hundreds of stories and then took the project worldwide. Why am I telling you this? Well, this week I went to a funeral, the mum of an old mate. And it's strange that at funerals, when the life of the person is reviewed, it's amazing what you find out. Margaret and her husband Harry got engaged while watching West Brom play Arsenal at the Hawthorns in 1953 and my mate has still got the ticket from that very day. She did an astonishing amount of things, including snowboarding into her 80s, and the tributes that were paid laid out the life of a remarkable woman. Many years ago, I went to a funeral of a guy I had worked with when I was 16, 
one of my first jobs after leaving school. Only then, at the funeral, did I find out that he had fought in the jungles in Burma with the Chindits in the Second World War and was something of a hero, being awarded the military medal for his bravery. All the time I knew him, and it was a few years, he never mentioned it. Everybody has a story. So, any football stories, any sports stories you'd like to share with us, Phil? Well, Pips, I just know that everyone is dying to catch up with events at Hereford (laughs) Football Club. Take (laughs) it away. As you do. So I'll take you back a couple of days to the game at York. Cardiff City loanee, it says here, James Waite, on as a half-time substitute, scored on his debut for the Bulls to turn up uh, to turn around the match at York within three minutes. The hosts, which were York, went ahead with their first chance on nine minutes as Alex Kempster fired low past keeper Matt Yates following Jordan Burrow's flaked header. Burrow then headed wide from a yard out, and Wes York also missed a golden chance while Yates saved from Patrick McLaughlin and Burrow. The Bulls' comeback began on 77 minutes when Danny Greenslade levelled directly from a free kick for his second goal in his many games. The lively weight then swooped for the winner on 80 minutes after a goalkeeping error allowed Tom Owen Evans to cross for the forward who turned to fire into the bottom corner. Hereford moved above York and went up three places to 16th, seven points away from the drop zone. Mm. Well, now to Rugby Union and Worcester Warriors, and Worcester Warriors beat Wasps, 35-23. Worcester Warriors booked their place in the Premiership Rugby Club semi-finals with another stunning comeback, which swept them to a dramatic bonus point victory in this derby. Warriors needed to win by more than two points, and with a bonus point of finish as top seed, but that appeared unlikely after Wasps' fullback Rob Miller crossed six minutes into the second half to put them visitors 13-9 ahead. But Worcester responded with four tries in a 15-minute purple patch, two of them from Bryce Heem, which took them beyond the last 16 of the competition in its various guises for the first time. Warriors now host Saracens in the semi-finals at Six Ways on Friday. The final scoreline reflected Warriors' domination, but they had to work hard for the win against a powerful side. Warriors were committed to playing attacking rugby throughout, but until their try blitz, they had to rely on the dead-eye kicking of Duncan Weir to peg Wasps back. The six-ways hosts dominated the opening quarter, but couldn't turn their pressure into points again, and Wasps took the lead against the run of play with an intercept and try. Wasps had worked, sorry, Warriors, had worked hard in attack, but a lapse of concentration near halfway led to winger Josh Bassett snaffling the ball and sprinting clear for an unconverted try. Worcester set out their stall to score tries, but had to rely on the accurate place-kicking of Weir to get them into the match. The Scotland international fly-half struck with a 22nd-minute penalty, which was immediately cancelled out by one of his Wasps counterpart, Limas Sopoaga, after Warriors failed to claim the restart kick. Weir pulled back another three points after 27 minutes and gave Warriors the lead two minutes from half-time. Warriors thought they'd scored a try when a swift attack from a line-out sent Dean Hammond over in the corner. 
but referee Michael Hudson conferred with TMO David Grayshop, who spotted the knock-on and the try was wiped out and replaced with a penalty under the posts for an offside earlier in the attack. With lengthy injury stoppage for treatment to Jake Cooper-Woolley and Nick Shonnert, who failed an HIA, the first half lasted 55 minutes. Miller's try, after another incisive run from Bassett, was almost followed by another, after Joe Simpson intercepted. But Warriors managed to scramble back and escaped with a penalty from Billy Searle. The game swung dramatically when Francois Vantaire followed up his own ship and Heem supplied a superb finish with Weir converting from touch. Venter then went over after a period of sustained pressure and Weir levered over the conversion to give Warriors a lead they were not to lose. Heem, a constant menace to Wasps, then turned provider for Ethan Waller, who arrived in support and Weir again added the extras. Warriors were now totally dominant and Heem went over for a bonus point try after he collected loose ball on the 22nd. Weir's conversion struck the upright and bounced out in his only miss of the afternoon and Nizam Carr's try came too late to stifle Warriors' celebrations. And moving on to a basketball report, uh, Worcester Wolves played well in spells in interim head coach Tony Garbalotto's first match in charge, but not quite well enough to secure a win. Title-challenging Newcastle Eagles came to the University of Worcester Arena, boosted by the return of their leading scorer, Victor Moses. Wolves had to cope without two of their mainstays, injured forward Deshaun Freeman and Miki Severa, serving out a one-match suspension. After falling into an early double-digit deficit, the hosts fought back to nudge into a 54-52 lead just after half-time, before Newcastle finished the stronger to take a a 103-92 success. Though disappointed at the defeat, Garbalotto took encouragement from aspects of the performance, saying, We played pretty hard, especially after a lacklustre first quarter. We really picked it up in the second and third quarters, before making some silly mistakes that allowed Newcastle to wrestle the momentum away from us. We didn't have two of our main guys, Deshaun and Mickey, and Alex Navajas got injured right at the start of the game. But overall, I'm encouraged. Some cricket now and news of the academy, which um, brings along young players for future county action. Worcestershire's Academy, Worcestershire Academy's 2019 fixture list includes two blocks of action against Ireland among the summer highlights. The Academy has regularly hosted the Irish during the past few seasons and this year their under-19 side will feature in three days of white ball cricket, two at Dumbleton and one at Barnt Green in early July. In addition, the county's under-17 squad will make a reciprocal trip to Dublin in early August to play four matches against Ireland. County Academy coach Elliot Wilson said, Ireland keep wanting to come back and play us every year, so we must be doing something right. It is a feather in our cap and it works very well for us. Ireland under-19s are coming here as part of their preparation for the World Cup qualifiers. As a result, we're going to play three games of white ball cricket, probably two 50-over games and a day of T20 cricket. We will take a similar side over to Ireland to play against them in August. We have thoroughly enjoyed having Ireland over here. 
to get the guys away for a period of time where you've got a captive audience 24-7 is invaluable. So to have them all for a week and play four good games of cricket is quite exciting. We will be based in and around Dublin and Malahide. be a great experience for the lads. The Academy will also compete in the Birmingham League's Graham Williamson Trophy 50-over competition starting at Shrewsbury in the first round. They will then play Ombersley or Walsall away in the second round or in the plate competition. The county will again be part of the Tri-Series tournament involving Northamptonshire and current holders Leicestershire with three-day and 50-over games plus a 2020-day. The Academy's home three-day match will be at Blackfinch New Road in late August prior to a four-counties 2020-day involving Staffordshire, Shropshire and Herefordshire seconds at county headquarters. And over to Evesham United for football. Every game a cup final for Collicott. Boss Paul Cullicott reckons Evesham United's 13 remaining games will all have a cup final feel. The Robins sit fourth in the Southern League Division 1 South, but have seven teams within six points of them in the chase for the top five, and all bar one has a game in hand. United's playoff push was not helped by a 3-1 defeat at Yake Town last weekend, a match which saw defenders Lyndon Dovey and Kai Fisher sent off, and Cullicutt admitted crunch time had arrived ahead of today's home clash with struggling Slimbridge at 3pm. There are 13 games left, and each of them is a cup final now, said Cullicutt. It's starting to get very tight up there. It makes for a lot of excitement, but also means we have to perform on a consistent basis. Today will not be easy. It's a derby, and Slimbridge is always ups their game against us. Whether it be at our place or theirs, they're a difficult side to play against. They're at the wrong end of the table, but as I've said a number of times, you only have to look at the results across the course of the season to see that these teams, fighting for their lives, can be dangerous against anyone. Dovey and Fisher served one-match bans this weekend, and midfielder Archie Haskane is now unavailable, despite an unexpected extension to his Robins stint prior to joining the army. Collicutt has bolted his ranks by signing winger Tumani Sidibi from league rivals Highworth Town. He's living in Gloucester, so being at Evesham is easier for him than being at Highworth, said Collicutt. The lad showed some quality in the game against us, and with Corey, Simpson, broken leg, being out for a while, it gives us another option down the sides. He can play on the right or the left, and know some of the lads already through his connection to Hartbury College. So he should settle in quickly. I'm pleased to get him on board. And finally, in the sport, a Nunnerywood High School pupil will head to the National Schools Cross Country Championships in Leeds on March the 16th. Year 11 teenager Lauren Kennard finished second in the Hereford and Worcester Schools Championships at Top Barn near Worcester. Kennard was competing against around 30 girls from across, across the counties over four kilometres and will be among a team of eight at the Nationals. She qualifies for the third time, but in her best position yet. Kennard, who runs for Worcester Athletics Club, said, I'm really pleased to have qualified and I'm really looking forward to racing at Leeds. It'll be a great experience. 
Well, we wish Lauren all the best and hopefully we might get to read about her in a month's time, March the 16th. We'll look out for it. So that concludes the sport and uh, we will now move on to the obituaries. So, Philip, if you'd like to start. Yes, thank you, Pips. Robert George William Day, known as Bob, passed away peacefully on January 27th, 2019. The service was yesterday afternoon at Worcester Crematorium. George Henry Gregory passed away at Royal Worcester, uh, Worcester Royal sorry, Hospital on Friday, January the 18th. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, February the 12th at 12.15. Family flowers only, but donations to RNLI. Judith Judy Curtis passed away on January 25th, 2019. Uh, her funeral service will take place on Friday, February the 22nd at Redditch Crematorium at 12.30. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Cinnamon Trust or sent to R.L. Lee Funeral Directors Limited, 17 Rock Hill, Bromsgrove. Mark Barrington Harford passed away on January 20th, 2019. The service to take place at Worcester, Crema at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow Friday, February the 8th at 10am. Family kindly request no children. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band St John's. Betty Doreen Bradley passed away peacefully on Sunday, January 20th. The funeral will be on Monday, February the 11th at St. David's Church, Coma Gardens at 11.30. Again, family flowers only, please. Donations would be gratefully received for Acorns Children's Hospice and may be left at the church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Dan Trevor Clayton uh, passed away on January the 11th, 2019. This was a private family funeral service which has already taken place. Maureen Bruce Foley of Heathlands Residential Care Home, Pershaw, passed away peacefully on January the 20th, aged 88. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, February the 11th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR 37EU. Austin Russell Pugh, known as Ozzy, passed away peacefully in hospital on January the 19th, aged 90. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, February the 11th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Pancreatic Cancer Research Fund or the Coronary Care Unit, Worcestershire Royal Hospital, and may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Postcode WR370U. Richard Patrick Stanley. A private funeral attended only by close family was held on January the 30th. Friends and family are invited to join the family in a service to celebrate Richard's life to be held at St Michael's Church, Felton, Herefordshire on February the 14th at 12 noon. Parking for the church service is available at Green Farm, HR1 3PH, next to the church. No flowers, but donations, please, to the RNLI may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 
The Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2, 5BT. Lillian May Hodgson, née Seabright, passed away peacefully on January the 22nd, age 96. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February the 15th at 1pm. No flowers, please. Donations, if desired for cents, may be left in the collection box available at the service. Enquiries to the co-op funeral care. Telephone number 01905 22137. Sue Hoskins, nay white, sadly passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 26th, aged 69. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 13th at 10am. No flowers by request, but donations to Myeloma UK and Cystic Fibrosis Trust, if desired, may be left in the collection box or care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester. Margaret James passed away peacefully on January the 27th at St Richard's Hospice, aged 82. Funeral service at St James's Church, Norton, on Friday, February the 15th at 12 noon. No flowers by request, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice and Norton Church may be left at church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone 01905 748 811. Anthony James Bryan Lyons, known as Tony, of Penbury Street, Worcester, passed away peacefully on Tuesday, January the 22nd, aged 81. Funeral service at St George's Catholic Church, Worcester, on Thursday, February the 14th, at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection page at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68 to 70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. So that concludes the obituaries. And Jane, would you like to read the thought for the week? Yes, it's from Acts 13, 26 and 27. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And I think it's birthday time. On the 9th it's the birthday of Sonia Dugnan and on the 12th of Hilda Guise. Uh, all of us here wish you a most enjoyable birthday. If it is your birthday in the forthcoming week and we don't have your details, please do let us know. Sunrise and sunset times for today, um, well actually tomorrow, are 7.38 in the morning for sunrise and 5.07pm in the afternoon for sunset. I think we've turned the corner and the days are at last getting a little bit longer. Amen. Hallelujah. So that concludes all the news and sport and everything for this week's edition. And I'd like to say a big thank you to tonight's readers, Phil. Thank you. And Jane. Thank you. And goodbye to you both. And, of course, from our wonderful recording engineer, John Plush, who's waving goodbye from the other side of the glass. And a big thank you to our admin and copying team, which I think comprises just the one this week, Carol, as ever. Thank you very much, too, from us all here. So have a good week. Happy Valentine's Day for next Thursday. And enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.